The Daily 202 is sponsored by T. Rowe Price. Check out The Confident Wallet, a personal finance podcast series by T. Rowe Price and the Washington Post Brand Studio. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Wednesday, February 6th. In today's news, one of President Trump's judicial nominees may lose a Republican senator's support over her past writings on date rape. Elizabeth Warren apologizes as new evidence emerges that she claimed Native American heritage. And New Mexico's new governor orders the National Guard troops on the border to withdraw. But first, the big idea. Addressing Congress on Tuesday night, President Trump boasted that the economy is booming and the State of the Union is strong. Then he issued a warning. An economic miracle is taking place in the United States, and the only thing that can stop it are foolish wars, politics, or ridiculous partisan investigations. If there is going to be peace and legislation, there cannot be war and investigation. It just doesn't work that way. The line didn't prompt much applause in the room. Even loyalists aren't terribly eager to be seen cheering on the president's call to end investigations into his campaign, foundation, and inaugural committee. The line also presents a false choice. The economy did well, for example, when Republicans investigated Bill Clinton in the 1990s. For many historians, Trump decrying the investigation was eerily reminiscent of Richard Nixon's 1974 State of the Union. And to clear the innocent. I believe the time has come to bring that investigation and the other investigations of this matter to an end. One year of Watergate is enough. Nixon resigned seven months later. In his third speech to a joint session of Congress, Trump called for unity, even as he attacked Democrats and painted the picture of a nation in crisis. As he delivered his speech from the House chamber, with a stone-faced Speaker Nancy Pelosi observing over his left shoulder, Trump stared into a sea of Democratic women wearing bright white, in tribute to the suffragists who secured women's right to vote. Together, they formed a vivid illustration of this year's power shift and the potential political peril for Trump's presidency. Trump exhorted Congress to reject the politics of revenge, resistance, and retribution, and said that the government must embrace the boundless potential of cooperation, compromise, and the common good. This is a guy who gives his opponents nasty nicknames, taunts his foes, and can't resist counterpunching at anyone who insults him. Indeed, just eight hours before the speech, Trump trashed not only Democrats, but the late Republican Senator John McCain, during a freewheeling lunch with television news anchors. He assailed Chuck Schumer in personal terms and called former Vice President Joe Biden dumb. The president devoted about half his speech not to name-calling, but to foreign policy. Proclaiming that great nations do not fight endless wars, he highlighted his efforts to bring troops home from Syria and Afghanistan, even touting his decision to negotiate with the Taliban. The president then announced that he will hold a second summit with North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un on February 27th and 28th in Vietnam. Trump added that if he hadn't been elected president over Hillary Clinton, the U.S. right now would be, quote, in a major war 
with North Korea. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar this hump day. Number one, Naomi Rao, Trump's nominee to replace Brett Kavanaugh on the second most powerful court in the country, addressed her controversial writings on date rape during her confirmation hearing yesterday. She encountered unexpected resistance from Republican Senator Joni Ernst, who recently disclosed that she was sexually assaulted while in college. Ernst said that Rao's writings from the 1990s on date rape give her pause. The conservative, Ernst, facing a tough re-election fight in Iowa next year, said she's concerned about what message Rao's writings send to young women about who is to blame in cases of rape. Rao told the senators that she cringes at some of the language she used in columns that she wrote as an undergraduate at Yale. She added, quote, I like to think I've matured as a thinker, writer, and person. Ernst said she still needs to hear more. In related Me Too news, Pope Francis confirmed publicly for the first time that Catholic priests and bishops have been sexually abusing nuns. He is due to host a gathering of bishops and cardinals in two weeks to address the broader global issue of clergy sexual abuse, including, largely for the first time, of adult victims and accountability for those at the top of the church who not only mismanage, but cover it up. Number two, the Post has uncovered a 1986 registration card for the State Bar of Texas showing that Elizabeth Warren listed herself as an American Indian. In an interview yesterday, the Democratic senator said she apologizes for ever identifying as Native American. Her comments expand on the regret she expressed last week during a conversation with the chief of the Cherokee Nation. But as Warren undergoes increased scrutiny as a presidential candidate, additional documents could surface to keep this issue alive, and it is really dogging her with donors and activists. The 1986 card, which was obtained through a Freedom of Information Act request, is the first document to surface that shows Warren making the dubious claim about her heritage in her own handwriting. Her office does not dispute its authenticity. Number three, Senate Republicans indicated they might agree to less border wall money than Trump has demanded, but they also signaled uncertainty yesterday about what exactly the president might agree to. Senator Roy Blunt, the Republican from Missouri, who's a member of the bipartisan committee of House and Senate negotiators that's trying to come up with some solution to avoid a shutdown on February 15th, said both sides have moved off of their initial positions. In the case of Republicans, that was $5.7 billion. In the case of Democrats, it was zero. Meanwhile, New Mexico's governor last night ordered her state's National Guard to withdraw most of its troops from the southern border. Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham, a Democrat who took office last month after serving six years in the House, made the announcement shortly before the State of the Union. She said she rejects the federal contention that there exists an overwhelming national security crisis at the southern border, along which, she noted, are some of the safest communities in the country. And that's The Daily 202 for February 6th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Hellman. I'll talk to you tomorrow.